All right, well, it's interesting to note um, the disciples had been following Jesus for a period of time. Um, they had, you know, heard the call from him, many of them leaving nets by a boat, you know, Matthew's leaving uh, the tax collector's booth. These just regular, regular guys have been following Jesus around. And they're starting to get a taste of, of who this guy is. You know, I don't know on what level they just continued to wrestle over the, the few years they spent with him of who is this guy? What is he all about? You know, one minute they seem to get it. The next minute they seem to be clueless. Kind of sounds like my own faith journey pretty often, if I'm honest. Um, but these guys are just walking with Jesus. And as they're doing that, they're noticing things about him. They're noticing that he preaches, but in a way that's beyond a way they've ever heard. Scripture that they've grown up hearing and learning about, it's coming alive as this guy talks and they're blown away by the way he teaches. Um, they've witnessed miraculous things happening. People getting healed, demons being cast out. I just need a little sip of my milk bottle here. I just know I'm gonna step on it and trip. And so we're just gonna avoid that. I'll move it really fast. Hey, it is family Sunday this morning in all its glory. All right. Um, so... So listen, these guys, they're seeing Jesus. In the middle of this, you know, they've been following him around. They've also, you know, John the Baptist had been on the scene for a while and just something is happening in their midst that is not normal. And in the midst of all of this, they approach Jesus and in John 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse one, um, Jesus was doing that thing that he does all the time where he goes to a certain place and he gets away from the crowd and he's talking to his father. And so here he is one more time off to the side in a certain place praying. And this is what the scripture tells us. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place and we had finished. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I love what uh, the late, great Leonard Ravenhill had to say about this particular passage. He says, isn't it interesting to note that the disciples did not request, Lord, teach us to preach. They had often heard Jesus preach, yet they did not ask to be taught his methods, but to learn his secret. Thus they said, Lord, teach us to pray. The thing that was so unique about Jesus is he just seemed to really enjoy getting away from everything else and spending time with God. That was what was different about him. And they began to recognize that. They began to notice that he would take regular time to go pray. And of everything they watched him do, that was the thing they said, God, would you teach us about that? And I really believe that mentality is still true to this day. I mean, prayer, prayer has been, been so misrepresented in so many ways. I mean, at times over the centuries, prayer has been relegated to, it's the duty of that guy over there. That one guy is gonna go pray in our place. And we'll come and talk to that guy and hopefully he'll talk to God and work things out for us. Prayer's often been put in that category. Prayer's been made intimidating. It's been made intimidating. We've even connected it with public speaking. You know, if you guys know this or not, but like the two things that people are the most afraid of are public speaking and dying. But people are actually more afraid of public speaking than dying. That's kind of wild. That means they'd rather be the person in the box than the person giving the eulogy. That's kind of wild if you think about it. Like, we're terrified of public speaking. Well, we've connected prayer to public speaking, and it's intimidating. I don't know that I'm comfortable. 
I don't even know I'm comfortable talking to God on my own. I'm definitely not feeling super comfortable talking to him in front of everybody else. And, and so what, what my hope is, and I think what the disciples' desire was, they wanted to pray. It was compelling to them, the idea of talking with God and having, having this vibrant relationship with him. But they just, they didn't know where to start. It sounded intimidating. It felt confusing. They weren't sure the right things to say. And so they're like, Jesus, will you just help us out? And here's the good news. Jesus said, sure thing. I'd love to. Let me walk you through how to pray. And the thing that Jesus knew is that prayer was this language of relationship. You know, we've been in this series now for weeks. I think we're on week 10 or 11, something like that. Um, just talking about encountering God, being in a relationship with him. And we've looked at the role that God's word plays in that, the importance of reading scripture and getting to know him through his word. We've talked about the importance of worship and living a life of worship and the role that plays. Well, prayer is about communication with him, speaking to him, hearing him speak to us. Jesus had that as a huge part of his walk on this earth. And thankfully, he took the time to teach us how we can pray. And so I wanna encourage you guys to just kind of jump into this this morning. Now, I read the introduction from Luke's gospel, chapter 11, and Luke's gospel does have the Lord's prayer there, but we're gonna go over to Matthew's gospel and check that out. There's a little bit more detail in Matthew's version, so we're gonna camp there this morning. So Matthew chapter six, that's kind of where we're gonna be the rest of this morning. Um, we're gonna begin reading in verse six. So we're just gonna read through this passage together uh, for just a moment, and then we're gonna kind of pick this apart a verse at a time and just see what we can mine out of this. So. Here we go. Jesus is talking. He says, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's, let's dive back into this a little more intentionally here. So let's look again at verse six, the first thing Jesus had to say. He says, but you, but you. In other words, this is gonna look different than what's normal. A lot of other people do this publicly and they do things in a repetitive way, but you, here's what I want you to do. When you pray, go into your room and when you've shut the door, Pray to your father who's in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The first thing we see here that Jesus is highlighting is that prayer is personal. It's personal. You know, I love that he even uses the idea of the word, the secret place. Secrets are the language of close friends. Secrets are the language of lovers. Like we share secrets with people that we're close with. I don't meet a brand new stranger and just immediately start going, here's all my junk, here's all, here's all my baggage. I don't invite them into like the, the closer, deeper places. But secrets aren't always just like hard or 
or personal, there's also secrets that are kind of fun. Like with your closest friends, don't you almost have like just kind of a secret lingo, like dumb things you laugh about, little phrases that you repeat over and over again? Do you ever have those moments with a good friend where you're having one of those moments and there's other people around kind of witnessing and they're just looking at you like, what are y'all talking about? You know, they feel left out. Well, they, they kind of are left out. There's this secret language with friends. And Jesus is saying, God wants that kind of relationship with you. He designed us to have a personal relationship with him. It doesn't have to be dry and boring and formal. It doesn't have to feel removed or distant. And so Jesus says, treat it like what it is. It's something special and it's personal. And so, man, just get away with him. He points out the very thing the disciples had noticed. That's what he did. I mean, it's hard to read through the life of Jesus and not regularly see he goes up to the mountain to pray. He withdrew from the crowds. He practiced this. So it's personal. It's the language of close friends. God's inviting us into that. Continuing on, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. Now, what I find interesting here is he says the heathens do this thing where they do vain repetition and use many words. What I think is interesting about that is how he's using the word heathen. He's not just using it to describe people that um, outwardly are removed from God. He's using it to describe people who outwardly look like they have a relationship with God. A couple verses before, he was calling out hypocrites that outwardly give this image like I'm this religious person that just has it all together. And he says, they're just as much a heathen as someone who's not talking to God at all. They're missing the boat. God's not inviting us into just this repetitive, dry, empty language. And listen, I don't know about you, but this is good news to me. It doesn't even have to be long. If anything, Jesus is saying, if it's too long, you're kind of blowing it. That's good, that's good news to me. Like a simple, short conversation, like we can do this. It's not meant to be these, this overly religious sounding, just gobbledygook that is just confusing the mess. And I'm saying words, I don't even know what they mean, but like, I guess I heard the preacher guy say it, so I should say it. No, we're talking to God. It's not meant to have to be repetitive. It's not meant to be long. It's something we're invited into. Don't be like that, he says. Now, I just have to say, it's a little bit ironic that as Jesus is about to teach the disciples to pray and he lays out for them in just a minute what we call the Lord's Prayer, how much we've turned that into a repetition. Isn't it sad how the life has kind of been drained out of that because it can become something that we just sort of know and repeat and say. He's giving us a path to walk on. He's giving us an idea of of the kind of God that we serve, that we get to talk to, and the kind of things that we talk to him about. He didn't mean to give us a formula to follow that becomes the very thing he's addressing right here. Jesus wants us to have a vibrant relationship with God. He had a vibrant relationship with the Father. Let's not make it dry and empty. Let's not let the dryness of others rob us from what God has for us. You know, I think it is sad that often not just in our American culture, I think you can see this over history and in different locations, just how dry prayer gets. I mean, you say the word prayer meeting and 
That's not what the masses of the church come to, right? You say prayer meeting and like, you're doing good if you can get three people to show up. You say, meet us at the park, we're grilling out. I'm with Crystal, man, I love eating food, let's go, right? Like, I wanna change the way that we think. I want my mind to change the way I view prayer. Too often, we are getting robbed from this thing that is life-giving, encouraging, strengthening. It's good to be in God's presence. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. He has something wonderful for, for us. And so let's not let the religiousness of others and the vain repetition that maybe we've participated in and definitely observed keep us from what Jesus is inviting us into. A personal relationship with God where we know him and talk with him. Okay, so let's jump into the prayer itself now. Verse 9. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, it's, it's like the word holy. It's set apart. It's unique. It's wonderful. In other words, Jesus says, start out with this idea. You have a Father in heaven and he's really cool. He's really cool. He's unique. He's different. As a father, he is set apart and different. Listen, if you have had a wonderful dad on this earth, that's great. Your father in heaven is so beyond that, so much better than that. But also there's really good news. If you've had, if you've had an absentee father or a really hard relationship with your father, you have a unique God in heaven who doesn't first introduce himself as, for example, king. He is king. We're going to talk about that in a minute. There's a lot of descriptive words for who God is in the scripture. He's creator. He's king. He's Lord. He's all these different things. But Jesus says, start out with this idea in mind. He's my father and he's really good. He's really unique. He's really special. This is a father who loves us in a unique way. Um, Not in this passage, but in other places in scripture, we're even told about how we approach God as our father. Um, One of the things that gets highlighted a few times by Paul is that when, when we receive God's spirit into our life, something unique happens. We move into this relationship with God where we're his adopted kids. And there's something inside of us now that doesn't just say father, like in a formal way, it cries out Abba which means daddy. In fact, we were talking about this in a, in a Bible study group this, this week. Um, Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors to listen to, he actually talks about that word Abba. It's almost even simpler than daddy. It's like the language of a baby who's just learning to talk and they're going like mama, dada. It's like that. It's that level of just simplicity and trust. That tells me that if I'm learning to pray and talk to God, even if I'm starting out at that very childlike level of, God, I don't even know where to start. I can do what a baby can do. I can go, dad, dad. I can start there. Father, dad, hallowed be your name. You're good. Dad, you're good. You're special. You're unique. You love me. See, we can, we can just open our prayer. It's not just that our prayer should start with the words, our Father. Every one of my prayers doesn't start with Father. The idea is that I'm starting my prayer with my image of who God is. See, many times my, my prayers, especially when I'm praying out of like, I'm in trouble, 
either I've blown it and I'm in trouble or life around me is really hard, my prayer starts with the attitude of how I'm currently feeling. Circumstances are tough. And instead, Jesus is going, when you approach the Father, start with who he is. Reflect on that. You have a dad who loves you and he's unique. And so when I'm, when I'm talking to God, it's just, it's healthy, it's good to remember who he is. He's my dad, he loves me. You can maybe even, instead of just saying, God, you're holy, like what are the things that make him unique? Highlight some of those. What are things that make God unique? What makes him special? How, how has he personally in your life done something incredible for you? What's something he's shown up and done? Reflect on those, verbalize them back to him. Father, you're good. Thank you, I can talk to you. And here's how you're special to me. Here's what you've done for me. Thank you. All right, moving on. Verse 10. So we go from understanding kind of who God is, and then it's this prayer of invitation. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is really, it's, it's, I just said a minute, it's an invitation. It's saying, God, there's something really cool and different and unique happening not necessarily up there, but in heaven, this place beyond, outside of my reach. I can't quite get my fingers on it. God, would you bring that near? Would you bring that near? Now, here's, here's what's important to understand about a kingdom. When there's a kingdom, what is inherently implied? What does there have to be for there to be a kingdom? A king. When there's a kingdom, there's a king. Okay, how does the kingdom run? Who decides how things work? The king. All right, listen, I'm grateful we live in a democracy. There's some cool freedoms that come from that. Um, but in God's kingdom, there's a king. We're not, we're not getting a board of people together and voting and then kind of letting God know, okay, this is what you have to make happen. We all voted on it. Sorry, your hands are tied. He's king. And so when I'm inviting his kingdom to come, what I'm really doing is I'm recognizing my place. God, you're king and I'm not. And so I want you to rule and reign, which means I want the things that you want to happen be the things that happen. And where this gets personal in my life, check this out, okay? His kingdom came to earth through Jesus. And very specifically, his kingdom comes to earth through the cross. Because Jesus surrendered, I can have access to his kingdom. Now, in my personal walk with the Lord, the way I have access to his kingdom in my life is now I surrender. Jesus made the way for it to be possible, and now I surrender. Listen, we've made this idea of God's kingdom very mysterious, like who is he and what is he doing and what's God's will? And I can drive myself crazy trying to figure that out sometimes. Here's the bottom line. God's kingdom coming into my life means I'm saying, God, you come and be in charge. I'm going to surrender to you. And so in my prayer life, this can get really personal. God, here's what's going on in my life right now. Here's the things I'm trying to run. Here's the things I'm trying to do. Here's things I'm even hoping will work out. But you know what, God, would you come and be in, in charge? I'm going to lay, lay myself down and say, God, I surrender. You come have your way. God's kingdom comes to earth one person and one prayer at a time. That's how God's kingdom comes. If you've ever thought, man, I would like to see God's presence operating more in my house. I'd like to see it operating more in my community here in Knoxville at my place of employment. Great. I, I love praying prayers about God coming and doing big picture, large changes. He does that when individual people come to him and go, God, 
here's where I need you to be king in my life. Here's what I've been withholding. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's the sin I'm not dealing with. God, would you come be in charge right here? Man, how different would our households look? How different would our community look if individual people started to do this more and more? God, would your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as a dad today, in my life as a friend today, as an employee today, as a neighbor? God, come have your way. We'd see some, we'd see some change. See, the more we get into this prayer, I hope you begin to realize this isn't just about words I say to God. Like Jesus' attitude towards prayer is that this was a way of life. He was walking through life with his father who was good. And prayer was him having regular conversation with his father about the life he was living. And so if, if we let Jesus teach us how to pray, really, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna learn how to live. We're gonna learn how to live. If you've ever thought, man, I wish I had a little more direction for my life. I wish I had a little bit more of a sense of just, what do I do? You could settle for just trying to pull some rules out of the Bible or you could step into a relationship with Jesus and watch him hold your hand and lead you. And so as we let him teach us to pray, we will learn how to live. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Man, I love, there are so many places in scripture where we do see Jesus speak to big picture things, huge things, big spiritual moments, um, massive emotional things he wants to heal and touch. But I love how practical Jesus is too. He talks about practical, normal, everyday life. Over and over again, he talks about how he knows that we have regular needs every day. And, and this prayer, what I love about it is it's really practical. I need to eat. I don't know about you guys, I need to eat like a few times a day. I like eating, but I don't just like eating. I need to eat. I need to eat. Yesterday we were hanging out at my parents' house and I mean, it was like 20 minutes before dinner and I hadn't eaten lunch and we're outside and I'm trying to teach, we're, we're playing croquet. Has anybody ever played croquet? It's been like forever since we played. We used to do it all the time when I was younger. And so we were trying to teach the kids and I don't know, like I'm just out there and I started feeling like I'm crashing a little bit. Like the blood sugar was a little bit low. And I'm like, I have to eat something right now or I'm getting like shaky. And so I'm inside like putting a sandwich together. And meanwhile, there's like food cooking on the stove. But man, I, just, I needed, like my body needed energy. I needed to be sustained. There are things that we need every day to make it. Where we get ripped off in life is when we start thinking beyond that day into the future and our needs become our anxieties. Our needs become our worries. They become our fears. Jesus talked about this just a few verses down in this same setting. In verses 31 through 34 of Matthew 6, he says, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Notice that he's aware he knows that we need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Man, if we want to be able to deal with the anxieties of life, the invitation of Jesus is to live in the moment with him. Let's be present today. I don't know about you. I generally have enough worries for one day. There's plenty of them. Well, let's bring those things to him. Let's talk to him about them. 
And I love what Jesus is saying there about seeking first the kingdom and those things will be added. His prayer even kind of models that. God, I'm seeking first you, my Father who's holy. Then I'm seeking your kingdom. God, would your kingdom come and will be done. I surrender to you. Now, God, I'm praying for daily provision. Will you provide the food I need? Would you provide the finances I need? Have any of you guys ever heard of a man by the name of George Mueller? George Mueller, really, really awesome guy. Um, ministered to orphans for years, had an orphanage. And there's this classic story, you may have heard it before, but one, one of the days in, in the orphanage there, um, there's like 300 kids at this point in this orphanage. And it's breakfast time and they gotta start school. Well, they're all kind of getting ready for breakfast and there's like no food, they're out of food. And so one of the ladies that kind of helped watch the kids comes in, she's like, there's nothing to eat, what are we gonna do? He said, get them all dressed, tell them to go sit at the breakfast table. Oh, okay. So all the kids gather, they sit at an empty table with all the stuff, the plates and the cups and everything's there and no food. And they pray and he thanks God for his provision and thanks God for the food. And they end the prayer and they wait. And a few minutes go by and there's a knock at the door. And one of the bakers in town comes to the door and says, I woke up in the middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. And I just felt like God was basically saying to me, I needed to bring y'all food today. So I've been baking all night and here's all this bread for the orphanage and brought it in, they had food. Not a couple minutes pass and there's a knock on the door and the milkman is outside. I've got a broken wheel. I can't take the milk truck any further. This milk is gonna spoil. Could y'all use it? Yeah, sure, I guess we could use some milk this morning. And so here's the milkman and there's bread and milk on the table for 300 kids. And I mean, you have to know a bro who's given his life to providing for all these kids learned how to just live in that place of like, God, you got to provide what I can't. Um, I, I've seen this in my own life. Now, I don't, I don't walk around, unfortunately, with this kind of faith all day, every day. I wish I did. But there have been seasons where we've had that. When my wife and I decided to walk the road of adopting our son, Micah, when, when we were coming and wrestling through that decision and we finally felt like, okay, God, like this is what you're telling us to do. I mean, in a very real way, it was going to be expensive. We had to fly multiple times to Ukraine. It was costly going through the legal stuff. And I remember just saying, Lord, okay, God, here's the deal. I, I feel like you're saying do this. We'll do it. But like, I don't have the money for this. You're going to have to provide it. And he did. And we laugh about it. I still don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. Like the money came in in all these different really interesting and unique ways. We had friends that we barely talked to who were living in Texas and we were in Tennessee and they just heard what we were doing and they call Amy up on the phone and go, hey, we just kind of told our church family down here what y'all were doing and so we all did a huge yard sale and we're sending $1,500 your way. A bunch of people we've never met and one family we barely talked to and, and there was just cool things like that happening. So I've, I've seen this in my own life. It's incredible to watch when we just go, okay, Lord, I'm depending on you for daily bread, for your provision. And he does it practically. And you know what else? He does it to minister our deep needs, spiritually and emotionally. We just kind of celebrated it this morning, right? What did Jesus tell us about himself? He said, I'm, I'm the bread of life. He talks about how he himself is our life. He equates his life that he shares with us to bread. And so in the same way that I come to him for daily provision for my physical, practical needs, I can have that awareness that he meets all of my needs daily. He'll minister to me emotionally, spiritually, 
mentally, my thought life. If I invite him into, God, here's what I need today from you. He'll answer that prayer. All right, let's continue on. We've got just a couple more here. You guys are doing good. Y'all hanging in with me, kids? Yeah? Tony, the big kid in the back, he's hanging in. All right. Okay, verse 12. Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, this verse, like, have you ever heard like the Lord's Prayer kind of almost sung, right? Like it can just sound really beautiful. Um, for, yeah, it's really low, yeah. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or something like that, I don't know. Probably doing a terrible job with that, but like just sounds like beautiful and awesome. And it's like, man, that is a hard thing to pray. Did y'all hear the order there? It's backwards. I don't want God to forgive me the way I forgive other people. I'm terrible about forgiving other people. But that's the prayer. Jesus is teaching us something about forgiveness. If I viewed the most challenging situations that I get in with other people, the things that it would really stretch me to forgive someone of that hurt, of that wound. But if I approach it the way I would hope God would approach forgiving me, I learn how to forgive. See, the beauty of letting Jesus teach us about prayer, we don't just learn about our relationship with God, we begin to learn how to relate to the world around us. He's changing how we relate to everyone. And the more in tune that I get with not only how much God has forgiven me, but if I'm connecting his forgiveness for me with my ability to forgive others, it changes things. It changes my perspective. But it also teaches me how to forgive people. And one of the main ways I've learned how to forgive people is by my emotions not being there and talking to God about it. God, I'm choosing mentally to forgive that person. But in here, there ain't a whole lot of forgiveness going on. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of anger. Sometimes it's my own pride. And really the worst times are even when I feel like I'm fairly certain it really isn't my fault. Like I've been wronged and it hurts and it's not okay. And I, th- I think at times in my own life, maybe you've dealt with this. I equate forgiveness to saying the thing that happened wrong was okay. It's not okay. If it was just as simple as saying, oh, it's okay, then why would Jesus come and die on the cross? The wrongs that have happened, they're real. They're legitimate. They have consequences. They do damage. But Jesus died to take care of that. By his stripes, we are healed. Notice it doesn't say forgiven. Now, there's other places in scripture that talk about how his blood cleanses or forgives our sins, but it's also by his blood that we're healed. He heals our wounds. He heals our broken hearts. And so by by talking to God about some of the deepest hurts and issues and struggles that we have with other people, we're giving him an opportunity to come and to heal. See, he's actually helping us learn how to use power. When you're in debt, you know, this passage specifically is using the idea of debt, forgiving a debt. Well, if you're in debt, the person with all the power then is the creditor. It's the person that's extended the debt. They're in, they, they own you. And the person who's committed the debt, they're the ones in trouble. Well, when somebody has wounded us, it's like that. We kind of are in that weird place of power where like they're indebted to me now, like they blew it. But Jesus is teaching me what I do with that power. I don't hang it over their heads. In fact, by hanging over their heads, not only am I not releasing them from the debt, 
what I don't realize is happening is I'm chained up too. I am chained up and locked up and in need of being set free as long as I'm holding on to that hurt and that anger and that bitterness. I'm locked up. But by giving that person to the Lord, it's setting me free and it's giving him opportunity to deal with them. I don't know if they're ever going to genuinely be heartbroken over that. I don't know if they'll ever repent. I don't know what they'll work out with the Lord, but I'm, I'm laying them at his feet and letting him deal with it. And when we do that, we allow our own selves to be healed and to begin to move forward in some freedom. We need to learn how to do this, how to use that power appropriately. That's how Jesus used it. All sin, the scripture teaches, all sin is really against him. When one of his kids is hurt, he's hurt. If you, if you ever wonder about that, talk to any parent with a child. When something wrong has been done to their child, they feel the weight of that. They get hot. I actually got really hot at the park a couple weeks ago. I told a couple of y'all a story about that. This kid was picking on one of my kids and it was like, I'm like from across the park, knock it off. Like I go storming over there. My older kids were like, dad, all the parents were looking at you. I'm like, hey, I don't care. They weren't looking at their own kids. So I had to step in. Um, but yeah, like, man, I get fired up when one of my kids is getting messed with. Now I also get upset with my kids when they're doing stuff they shouldn't do too. But like, I want to defend them and protect them. When we get wronged and when we wrong others, it hurts our father in heaven. He has that like at an extreme level and out of deep love for us. And so all the wrongs here are wrongs that have been done to him. And what does he do with that debt? He pays for it himself. So Jesus did. He paid for the debt himself and he releases. And even Jesus in the midst of dying for the whole world, for all of our sins, for everyone, he also gets really practical about what he's experiencing. The specific sin of those people standing right there that have just crucified him and are now mocking him. And what does he have to say about them? Father, get him. Is that what he said on the cross? Father, bring justice, bring the hammer. Father, hell's waiting for them one day. Is that what he said? No. Father, forgive them. They don't even really know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're doing. He'll teach us to forgive. He'll teach us how if we'll talk to him about it. All right, let's get through these last couple really quick. Uh, verse 13, the first half of it. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus actually tells us we should pray that God lead us not into temptation. That might sound kind of weird. And like at first instinct, when I hear that, like, wait a minute, God doesn't lead us into temptation. Hmm. Remember when Jesus went into the wilderness? Did he accidentally go into the wilderness to be tempted? How'd he get there? The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. My personal theology doesn't like that very much. <laughs> but there are times where, where God will allow us to be in situations where we're being tempted. And so first of all, Jesus is saying, hey, pray that that doesn't happen. Like, God, just keep me out of those situations altogether. I want to steer clear. But he also follows up with good news. He delivers us from the evil one. God brings deliverance. He provides a way of escape. He helps us to resist the devil. And in fact, he'll flee. See, God will actually allow us to be in places of temptation. And I've struggled with this one. I don't have a quick, easy answer for you this morning. I've battled with God. Why was there that tree in the garden where Adam and Eve could even pick something wrong? Um, 
I don't want to do a whole talk on that this morning, but I want to give you at least something to consider, a thought to consider. That tree, as strange as it sounds, is a gift. It's the gift of choice. God gives us the ability to be people who can make decisions. We can choose to be in relationship with him. If we didn't have the ability to choose to run from him or to choose the opposite of what he would have for us, we'd be programmed robots. But he made us people with a soul, with a heart, with a mind, with the ability to make choices and decisions. And there are times in life where he'll allow us to be in a place where I, I have an offer, an opportunity that looks good, and it's a lie. And I don't know when those come, why they come, how they come, but I know that he's giving me opportunity to be able to see the lie for what it is and go, God, I choose you. I choose you. And the good news is by the grace of God, when I blow it and I do choose the lie, there's forgiveness, there's freedom, there's new life, there's a second chance. But man, I get to become more and more like him. I, be, I begin to be able to spot the lie more and more and go, I'm not falling for that again. I don't wanna, I don't wanna um, settle for the counterfeit, for the substitute, for the thing that leaves me empty. God, I want you. And so Lord, deliver me from the evil one who would throw this stuff up in my path that rips me off. And he'll do that. He'll do that. And then finally, Jesus kind of pulls the whole prayer together, really, really ending where he begins. The second half of verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And what I love about this is he starts things with his kingdom and then he tells us basically how to live in that kingdom. And then he gets to the end and reminds us it's by his power. It's by his ability. He has what you need. And so God, would you do it? And here's what I love about his kingdom. Think about how different his kingdom is from the kingdoms of this world. In his kingdom, the king supplies the bread to the people. That's the reverse. In a real kingdom, the people do all the work and send the proceeds on up to the king and he gets to enjoy the benefits. But in God's kingdom, the king does the work and he provides the bread for his people. In fact, he's given himself as the bread for the people. That's what his kingdom looks like. In his kingdom, the king uses his power to pay everyone's debt. So instead of people paying their taxes to him, he pays the debt we can't pay for us. That's his kingdom. And then finally, his kingdom is not a kingdom to gain glory for himself, although he is glorified, but he's not amassing a bunch of armies to fight on his behalf. He says, I deliver you from the evil one. I fight on your behalf. I'm leading the charge. I go to battle before you. Before you even show up at the battle, it's already won because I've done it for you. That's his kingdom. He provides the bread. He forgives the debts and he fights the battles. Ian Bounds wrote and said this, God's plan is to make much of the man or woman, far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. That's what Ravenhill was talking about at the beginning. Let's pray. Well, Father, you're a good dad. Thank you that you're special, that you, you're unique. You stand alone throughout history. You're unmatched. You're the God who was and is and is to come. You don't change. God, we could sit here forever rehearsing 
what makes you so special and unique. But Father, we thank you that you're good. Lord, I, I, my prayer is for my own heart and for the hearts of my friends, Lord, that you would teach us how to pray. God, that we wouldn't get caught up in something impersonal and repetitive and dry and empty. But God, we would be invited into something personal and real with a father who loves us, with a king who has our best interests at heart. You're a king worth surrendering to. God, help us to live daily in the moment, trusting you for the provision that we need for, the, for that day. Thank you that you squash, you deal with our anxieties by inviting us to be present with you in the moment. Lord, thank you that you do forgive us. Lord, it's hard to forgive others as good as you've forgiven us. Help us to learn how to do that. Help us to practice that and to talk to you about it. God, we pray that you wouldn't lead us into temptation, that you would deliver us from the evil one. God, when the lie is presented, we'd be able to see it for what it is and choose life instead. God, thank you that there's mercy and forgiveness for us when we do blow it. And then, Lord, we just remember that you're the king. You're powerful, you're glorious, you're wonderful. God, I pray that we would put this stuff into practice, learning how to talk to you more each day. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.